Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. Amen. Amen. Well, Eric is one of our great young missionaries, and that's a joy to partner with her in the work they're doing around the world. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online. Uh, my name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration, and normally it's my joy to open God's Word and declare His truth to you each week, but today I have a different joy, and that's to introduce one of my friends. I have the privilege today to have a dear friend, a, a colleague, Dr. Melissa Alfaro, with us here today. We serve together on the National AG Looking Forward Committee that has been tasked by our general superintendent. There's nine of us tasked to dream and kind of help chart the course for the next decade, two or three, should the Lord tarry. Uh, And so we get to serve together on that committee. She happens to also serve on the national board of the Assemblies of God with my father. She's the youngest member of that. We call it the National Executive Presbytery. And uh, she's three weeks younger than me, so she's very young. Praise the Lord. Uh, Her and her husband pastor a wonderful church in Houston, Texas. They do an English service and a Spanish service. Her father immigrated from Mexico. Her mother, also Hispanic, from Texas. So uh, God is, I I love the Assemblies of God because it's also proof that there's place for everybody in her family. She's got to earn PhD, which means she also earned her master's degree and her bachelor's degree graduated from high school, all of which are first in her family, and yet here she is today. Now, they have two young children. You'll see a picture of them, ages five and two, and so she really never preaches for anybody on Sundays. She uh, spoke yesterday, was the keynote speaker for Minnesota's Equip Conference, hundreds of leaders from around the state, and I I said, as a friend, as a colleague, as a national board member with my dad, just as a guilt trip, whatever I can do, will you stay an extra 24 hours and pour into our church? She's a brilliant writer, a gifted speaker, great mom, I'm assuming, and pastor and pastor's wife, and a great way with words, a leading voice in our national fellowship, a dear friend of mine. Would you welcome Dr. Melissa Alfaro here this morning? Good morning, Celebration Church. How are you this morning? At our church, we have two two services as well, and usually it's the second service that's a lot more lively because they've had enough time to go buy Starbucks or get coffee or have breakfast, so hopefully you got to start the morning off right. It is truly an honor to be with you all, having been, first of all, in the Minnesota district over these past few days has been a joy and a delight to do God's work here and see the work that God is doing in your district, but I find it even more of a joy to get to be here in the house, the church, of people that are not just ministry colleagues. He did mention we serve together on a national committee. But let me tell you, I know you know this, but you got a gift in your pastors, pastors Derek and Dana Ross. They're a gift to the fellowship at large, and I am honored to be able to call them friends as well. Friends to the extent that he guilt-tripped me to be here, but I truly believe that God also had a word for Celebration Church, so it's an honor to be with you all. I bring you greetings from my family. Let's put up that picture so you can meet them. You're going to hear a little, yes, I love the oohs and the ahs. They look just like mom, don't they? You'll hear a little bit more about them a little later in the message, but I bring you greetings from my husband. He's holding down the fort, the church preaching right now, finishing up their first service, getting ready for their second. So he sends his love to each of you as well. I know you're currently in a series entitled The Church, Growing and Going. And this morning I felt as I leaned in, God, what would you have for Celebration Church? Because I never wanna waste a moment. I wanna be sure I'm leaning into his voice. And I felt like he he was talking to me about one aspect of this theme. When I believe one of the greatest places that God grows us and grows our faith is the waiting room. So I'm going to talk to you this morning about the waiting room. How many of you have ever had to sit in a waiting room? I mean, really sit and wait. Yeah, you could talk back to me. I'm okay. It doesn't offend me. 
I remember some time back, I had gone to the doctor's office, routine checkup, had checked in 15 minutes early, did really good to do that, took my seat in the waiting room and, and just sat there waiting for them to call my name. 15 minutes turned into 20 minutes, turned into 30 minutes, and I said, all right, well, let me just thumb through a little few magazines or Reader's Digest here on the coffee table. Let me scroll through my phone, get a little work done while I'm waiting. 30 minutes turned to 45, turned to an hour. By then, there was no more patience, no more being nice. I, I was pretty upset that this was taking a little longer than I had expected. And every time the nurse would come to the door and call somebody else's name, I was encouraging myself and the Lord. I said, Melissa, your name will be next. Girl, you get ready. Get on the edge of your seat. And lo and behold, they did not call my name until a little shy of two hours later. Ooh, yes, it hurt me just as bad. The nurse calls my name and I proceed to the door in a hurried step. And as I approach her, she says, I am so sorry, Miss Alfara. I'm like, oh, you sure are. You're a little late. You know, I'm talk to your manager about this. She said, your doctor just got called out to deliver a baby. We're going to have to reschedule your appointment. And I said, oh, no, you're not. You tell that baby you've been in there nine months. You can take nine, ten minutes more. I'm going to go in and see the doctor and make my appointment. If you're pregnant, my heart to you. I'm a mom. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't throw tomatoes. But have you ever found yourself in the waiting rooms of life? You know, those aren't comfortable places or even places that we completely understand we're there, why we're there. I believe our fast-paced society has caused us to interpret stillness and waiting as a waste of time and busyness and speed and activity as growth and success. Many times when God slows down on our timetable or our watch, what do we do as good followers of Jesus? We put the pedal to the metal. We speed up. We try to get control. We micromanage with God. And we try to do everything we can to resolve the issue, even though in reality, it's an issue that only God has the power to change. Amen. I find it interesting that waiting is a common theme in Scripture when we look at Jesus' teaching pre- and post-resurrection. Before his death and resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples in Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Jesus went through a waiting room himself because before the empty tomb, there was a bloody cross and three days of silence. Before the bloody cross, there was a lonely garden where he was travailing in anguish and praying all by himself because his help was a little asleep. After the resurrection, during his 40 days on earth, Jesus reappears to the disciples and he comes back and he reminds them of what he had instructed them. And in Acts 1-4, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised you, which you have already heard me speak about. Then Jesus ascends back to heaven right before their eyes. And it's not until 10 days later that the disciples actually experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you notice the common theme of waiting? Even though God says it, it sets it in motion, but it doesn't become our reality in that moment. There is a process of waiting. And let me submit to you today that waiting rooms, while they may make you feel helpless in the hands of God, they are not useless. In fact, at moments and seasons of our life when it seems like nothing is changing around us, it's sometimes in the waiting room that God does his best work inside of us. This morning, I want to go back to the first waiting room known as the Garden of Gethsemane or the Mount of Olives, where the master teacher himself, Jesus, travailed and waited as he was getting ready for the cross. I'm going to invite you to go with me to Luke chapter 22, verse 39. We'll be reading a few verses there. It'll also be on the screen. Luke 22, verse 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Garden of Gethsemane, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw behind, beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood 
falling to the ground. Here we find Jesus intentionally getting away to pray. He knows that his assignment on earth is about to be complete, finished. And rather than lean into his divinity, he, he adopts and continues this practice that he had in his earthly ministry, which was usually to get away and pray. I believe that that built not only the power that he ministered with, but the inner fortitude he had to be able to minister to the needs that were out there because he knew how to lean into the voice and presence of the Father. So here he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting away to pray, the cross before him. And I think rather than lean into his divinity, he gives us a glimpse of his humanity because he begins to pray a simple prayer that maybe you and I have prayed even on an occasion. Father, if you can take this cup from me, do it. In other words, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other option, now would be a good time to reveal yourself. You see, it's not a coincidence that he prays this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane literally means the place of the olive press. It's the place where literally, in order to get oil, a valuable resource we all use, it requires an excruciating process, but to get it, you've got to press and crush the olive in order to get the oil. I find it interesting that Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of the olive press, right before he's to go to the cross and his body is to be crushed for our sins. It's not a coincidence. He's there and he's praying and his body's manifesting signs of the anguish that he feels, the wrestling going on. Verse 44 says that as he prayed, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And his pressing, Jesus prayed. You got another option? Show up, God. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. I believe there are a few lessons that we can learn from Jesus as he's in this waiting room, how you and I can respond to our own waiting rooms in life. First of all, when we wait, God works. Someone once said, when I work, I work. When I pray, God works. When we wait, God works. There are a few lessons I think that we learn in the waiting room when God is doing his best work, not around us necessarily, but he is working on the inside of us. God will use waiting rooms or waiting seasons to redirect us. Proverbs 20, 30 says, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. You see, God will use waiting rooms sometimes to get our attention, to nudge us in a different direction. I don't know about you, but I'm a type A personality. I like to have everything scripted and written out. When I was 12 years old, I had a whole complete outline of what my husband and my family would look like. I like to have scheduling. My lists have lists. I've got very, very organized, administrative systems, girl. That's me. But sometimes I try to do that with God. And it doesn't always work. And I find myself in seasons where I feel like I'm on hold, I'm stuck, I'm waiting again. And while I'm there, I'm like, all right, God, I already got the plan written. I just need you to crack open this door and I will bust through and we will get to the the plan I have already put together. But can I submit to you that perhaps God has us in the waiting room, not so much so we can get on the other side of the door, but so that he can redirect and reposition our feet, our heart, and our will to finally adopt his will, his plan, and put ours to the side. So sometimes waiting is not so much about, boom, I'm getting through. But God, what do you need to get through the clutter of this head that is so stubborn and saying, it's got to be this way. Maybe he's trying to change the expectation and nudge you in a new direction. God uses waiting rooms to search us. James 1, 2 says, my brothers and sisters, when you have many kinds of troubles, you should be full of joy because you know that these troubles test your faith, and this will give you patience. The Greek word for test is to try, to prove. And I literally get this picture, image in my head of of someone that's there on on the bench press and they've got the bar and and there's a coach or a fitness trainer right there saying, all right, I'm gonna put two pounds. Now let's put five pounds. Now let's put 50 pounds. All right, let's go back to 10 pounds and let's see what capacity you have. Sometimes the waiting rooms are God saying, what? 
pressure can you take? What capacity do you have? A lot of times we're praying for things that have that require greater capacity than what we've got spiritual stamina and endurance to carry. And God, I just want this, and I want this ministry, and I want that new job, and I want a family of five or ten. And God's saying, baby, you can't even manage your own life right now as it is. Let me build some endurance and capacity in you before I entrust you with something greater. God will use waiting rooms to correct us. Psalm 119, 71, 72 says, The punishment you gave me was the best thing that could have happened to me. For it taught me to pay attention to your laws. They're more valuable to me than millions in silver and gold. See, some lessons we only learn through pain and failure. That's not our first option. Nobody wants to learn it that way. But when God has said, don't touch the stove or you're going to get burned. But because of you, because you know better and you think smarter and you're acting like my five-year-old kid that was said, no, I'm not. You reach up there and you touch the stove and you get burned. Wasn't God's fault? Wasn't God's plan? And how many know God can repurpose those seasons in our life and say, I can teach you in the seasons of loss, pain, and failure how to appreciate the things that you once had. God will use waiting rooms to protect us. Sometimes God's no is not withholding from you, but it's actually him protecting you. I think of Joseph. When you interpret a problem, it can be a blessing in disguise if it keeps you or prevents you from being harmed by something greater in the end. He was sold by his brothers. He arrives in Potiphar's house. I wonder if he thought, I finally arrived. I, I'm missing my family, missing my dad, maybe miss little Benji, but at least I'm okay, I'm secure, I got position, everything's good. I have arrived. And then you know the story, he's falsely accused and imprisoned. And we would probably say, God just put him back in the waiting room. What is this? We thought this was the moment. But it was actually God protecting him because Joseph's process was never about getting him to the palace as much as it was about protecting and preserving the people of God during a season of famine. You see, sometimes our waiting rooms are attached to people that are outside of our reach. Sometimes our waiting rooms are about when mama and daddy can learn to wait and have endurance and pray and hang on and have stalwart faith, then they raise children and they speak into children that have stalwart faith. So when their daughter or their college student or their grandkids are going through those waiting seasons, they can say, baby, I've been there. I know that. And this isn't a watered down faith. You try to figure it out yourself. I, have, I know the travail and the pressing and the sweat of the waiting room. But let me tell you, how God came through because just like he did it for me he's going to do it for you if we want to build stamina in the next generation in our children in our grandchildren they got to not just hear us talk about the waiting rooms they got to see us when it doesn't make sense God I'm not moving till you open that door and tell me to move God will protect us in those rooms God will use waiting rooms to grow us. Romans 5, 3 says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. God can use waiting seasons to build our character. How many know that God is more concerned in building your character than he is your comfort? A few years ago, well, a few years into our pastorate, we've been at our, our current church 13 years. First few years in, my husband and I walked through the most challenging season of our ministry. We had an individual that would show up to our church, distract, disrupt, say things, even cuss people out. I mean, crazy stuff. I know you're thinking, okay, then just deal with it, Melissa. So we prayed, we fasted, we put oil on this person, we tried to cast out demons, we tried everything legally possible. We talked to lawyers, we wrote up uh, memorandums, we wrote up different agreements with the family. It was, it was out of our hands. And I remember one day I'm in the prayer room feeling like I'm in a waiting room again and I'm praying to God. No, let me correct that. I am venting to God saying, God, is this why you brought us to Houston? People are leaving. Members are leaving. Board members are getting upset with the situation like if we're not doing our job. But God, we're doing everything we know to do and the situation does not change. Deal with this person. 
And as I was venting my heart before God, I love God so gentle with us, even though we are hard-headed. I felt the Holy Spirit say, do you want me to heal that person or do you want me to get rid of them? You see, sometimes it's in the waiting rooms that God will begin to change the way we pray because the issue isn't so much what's happening to you or outside of you, but it's how you're interpreting it in your own heart. I believe sometimes we're in that waiting room, and just like I was venting out that day, we're praying, God, rescue me. And God's saying, can you change it and make it refine me? God, deliver me. Can you change it, God says? Can you make it develop me? Can you realize that I am sovereign God over all the universe? What does that mean? It means he not only breathed the world into existence, but scripture shows me that he not only created, he works out everything according to his plan, he establishes it. It means that once it's done and once it's spoken, it is done. No no, no chaos, no situation, no obstacle it can change that. He has formed it and he holds all things together. So even when we're out of control, he's able to work it for our good. Romans 8, 28. I encourage you today to allow God to work in you even when it seems like he's not working around you. Point number two. Verse 43 says that Jesus prayed and an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. I don't know how many times I have preached the word of God and preached this passage. And it wasn't until this year that that was like highlighted for me. You see, many times we think we're in the waiting room alone. But God will send you provision before you get stuck in that waiting room. You know, when Mary got the message from the angel of the Lord saying, you're going to conceive a child. This girl was a 15, 16-year-old girl, scholars believe, at that time. And she's told she's going to have the Savior of the world. I mean, how would you have reacted? She's betrothed. She's promised to someone. What, is, what are they going to think? But there's a, a phrase in there. At the very end of the message, what does the angel tell her? By the way, your older cousin Elizabeth is now with child. So God was given Mary provision saying hey somebody else is walking through this season i need you to go with them so when i read this verse that's what i see right here god's provision for even his begotten son an angel came to strengthen him so i had someone he teaches me number two jesus is in the waiting room with you there was a contest with author leo biscogli he was asked to judge and find the child that was the most caring child he had ever met the winner was a four-year-old child, four-year-old little boy. This little boy had a neighbor who was an elderly man who had just recently lost his wife. One day, the little boy is looking outside the window, and he sees his neighbor crying on the front porch. He walks out of his front yard, walks up into the neighbor's front yard, up the porch, onto his lap, and takes a seat. The next, as soon as he gets back home, the mother watching all of this, stops and she asks him, son, what did you tell him? And the four-year-old little boy says, nothing. I just helped him cry. You see, that's what Jesus does with us in the waiting room. Our disappointments can sometimes cloud our vision and make us think that he is nowhere within arm's reach and that he's not present Pain and disappointment can have a way of obstructing our view. We see this in scripture in several post-resurrection encounters. Have you ever noticed the people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected, they never recognized him initially. Mary Magdalene mistook him for the gardener and said, where have you taken the body of my Lord? And it wasn't until he said her name that she said, my Jesus. When Peter and the disciples go fishing after the resurrection, they're probably swirling with thoughts in their mind. Did we miss it? Where is he at? What's going on? There they are fishing and catching nothing. Because whenever you're, you may be doing something, but if it's not where God called you to be, you can fish all you want and you're not going to catch a harvest. But then they heard the voice of the Lord. They hear a voice and the voice says, cast your net, go out further, do all that. And the moment that the miracle's done is when Peter jumps out of that boat and starts home and says, it is my Lord. Peter's like, I've been here before. I know your hands. I know your works. I know how you work, God. He didn't recognize him until he saw something he had previously done. Even the gentlemen that were on the road to Emmaus, they talked with Jesus 
They, looked, they, they were looking straight at him. They broke bread with Jesus. They talked to him. They walked with him for miles' journey. Then they get to the house and they're eating bread, sharing burritos, tacos, lasagna, whatever you want to say. Right in front of him. And they don't even recognize him until the very last moment when Jesus reveals himself. I think that's what pain does to us. Jesus can be walking alongside you in your life in every season and moment, but our pain does not allow us to recognize him. Jesus is in that waiting room. How do I know that? Because Romans 8.34 says he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. He's our great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 says he can empathize with our weakness. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Look at the, the bloody cross. He knows pain. He knows anguish. And he can empathize with us so that like verse four, uh, 16 says, we can approach his throne of grace with confidence. We can find the mercy and the help that we need to help us in our time of need. He's given us the Holy Spirit. How many thank God for the Holy Spirit? Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Look at the definition of helper. Your comforter, your advocate, the one that will speak up for you, your intercessor, your counselor. When you don't know what to pray, it is the Holy Spirit that intercedes for you with groans that you do not even understand. He will be your strengthener. He will hold you up when you want to crumble and snap. He will be your standby. He never leaves us. Even when we're in the waiting room, Paracletos is right there next to us. The one that God called to come alongside us, to guide us in and through and out of that season. And you know what I love about the church? God also gives us the church in our waiting room. He brings other people in the body of Christ, other Christians and Christ followers and brothers and sisters, our family of faith. He brings them next to us so they can continue to remind us what God has spoken over us and we don't get lost or stuck in our waiting room. If you find yourself in a waiting room, I want to encourage you with a few truths. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty savior. He'll take delight in you with gladness, with his love. Not works, not deeds, not power. With his love, his sheer presence there will calm all your fears. And he'll rejoice over you with joyful songs. Lastly, Hetzemani reminds us that waiting seasons are not wasted seasons. Jesus' waiting room extracted obedience and surrender. But I thought to myself, what was his motivation? This was the divine God. He could have done it any other way. He could have even obligated us to just love him and serve him. But that was never his design or intention. In Genesis, we, we see that clearly. He wanted relationship. Jesus' motivation, we read about it in Hebrews 12 too, it says that because of the joy set before him, because of the joy, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. When we're in the waiting room, we got turkey vision. All we can see is what's right in front of us. But can I tell you something? That when you're in the waiting room, God has something big and great, the joy before you, but he is also so powerful that he can use you even in the waiting room. I got a disclaimer, because some people think when I'm in the waiting room, I'm on hold. I'm paralyzed, my hands are tied. I can't do, I gotta sit still, pastor, sit me down. I can't serve, I'm going through this season. Let me tell you, that's the last thing you do in the waiting room. You know what you do in the waiting room? How many like to go to a a nice restaurant where the waiter can anticipate your needs, where the waiter is there always at your side. You need water even before the water's empty. We all like to be waited on, right? You know what I call that? That's part of what God does in our lives when we're in the waiting room. He says, while you're waiting, you're not stuck and your gifts and your purpose are not on hold. They're still just as powerful in that season as they would be when you get on the other side of that door. So use your waiting room to wait on and serve others. 
I'm going to close with this. My husband and I have been married 20 years. And we were in a waiting room for 15 years. It was the waiting room of infertility. Type A personality. I had my life all planned out when I was 12 years old. I knew who I would marry. All that did not work out at all the way I planned. God gave me something better. But starting my life, thought, oh, okay, finishing graduate work, PhD, get that done, and then we're going to, boom, shoot those babies out. Had it all planned out, names, four kids, all that stuff. Yeah, I, now that I have two, I'm like, Jesus, please, you can, you can close that womb. <laughs> kids are work. They're work. I love my babies. So 15 years, 10 years in, well, I had been diagnosed with unexplained infertility. I have no idea what that means. It's unexplained. Doctors didn't either. Nothing in our medical history, my husband or I, not in our family. So here we are in a waiting room. We're like, this makes no sense. We have nothing logical to connect to it. Ten years in, we supernaturally conceive. And I'm with child. Everything's great. I'm thinking, this is my Potiphar's house moment. I am slamming out of this door. We are out of the waiting room. Let's get the baby room ready. We announced it to the church, went through all of that. Everybody was just excited. Yay, 10 years, God did it. And on Christmas Day of 2013, was rushed to the ER. There were complications with the pregnancy. Literally gave birth to my child there. No heartbeat. Miscarried. The ugliest season of our life. I felt like God said, Melissa, go back. Sit in the waiting room. Let me tell you, if you're in the waiting room or know what that feels like, it's not God punishing you. It's not God withholding from you. Can I tell you, maybe there's something greater he has for you. So I'm sitting in that waiting room and a year, it took me a year after that to begin to pray for a child because I did not want to be disappointed. And I don't know who this word is, but stop setting yourself up for disappointment in the waiting room and expect a miracle. Expect a miracle. I'm there one morning. I, I muster up the courage to say, God, I'm here again. Can you give us that child? Give us the ability. I, I'm like prophesying over my ovaries, fallopian tubes, every organ you can think, everything, everything. Oil, I told the first service, coconut oil, olive oil, Crisco oil, whatever oil is going to work. Bring me butter if we need it. Just something to make this and move this along. Sometimes we go to extreme measures to try to get that door open. And I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me in that moment I am travailing and interceding for a child. He says, are you finished? What do you mean? I've got your baby, but I need you to intercede for Elizabeth. Who was Elizabeth? A week before that, Elizabeth had come to my husband and I's office with a huge need. Her and her husband, younger than my husband and myself, they were about mid-20s at the time, maybe upper 20s. They had just come back from the doctor, and the doctor told them, your ovaries are like the ovaries of a woman that's 60 years of age. You have 1% chance of getting pregnant. You can try to go the infertility route. We'll do what we can, but you got a very slim chance. Now, I'm not against infertility or whatever methods God leads you to and gives you peace for. But they came into our office. They didn't feel that was for them. They felt like God was telling them to wait. And they just said, pastors, we just want to know if you can wait with us, pray with us. That's what we did. So fast forward to that week, I'm travailing for my own son. And God says, the Holy Spirit says, I need you to intercede for Elizabeth. I felt like that day God took me from just feeling stuck on a chair and said, I'm going to give you a towel. You're going to wait on this spiritual daughter in your house. And you're going to travail and pray for her as if the baby in her womb was your own promise you were waiting for. Little did I know that that one step, one person, one name, who six months later, because of the supernatural power of God, got pregnant, nine months later had her first miracle baby, all to the glory of God. And after that, I would have thought, God, yes, I passed the test. Now you're going to give me my baby. I did it for Elizabeth. Here we go. And God said, uh-uh, 
you still haven't learned it. Sit back down and put the towel on your arm and keep waiting. And it was so ironic, the places I would travel, the people that would come to our church, so many people dealing with miscarriages, infertility, going through adoption processes and things weren't working out, just time and time, all these names and God kept saying prophetically, I want you to speak over them and pray over them every Tuesday morning that these are mommies in waiting. Three years I did that. The list went from 12 to over 120, 30 names now because I still do that every Tuesday. I call them leading ladies and mommies in waiting. And God changed it. He said, I don't want you just to pray for barren women that are physically barren, but I want you to pray for pastor's wives and, and women in ministry and friends and colleagues that are going through barren seasons in their lives. So the list kept getting longer. All right, God, I'm here. I'm interceding. In those three years, God gave five of those women that had been told, uh-uh, you're not going to have kids, gave them their baby, gave them, some of them, their children. And it was at the time in my waiting room which, when I stopped focusing on what I needed and what I was waiting on, and I was so busy waiting on others. And on Good Friday of 2018, God said, it's your turn. I'm kicking the door open. It's time to walk out of here with your baby. We gave birth to J. David III, our son, on an Easter weekend. And I always say God is so redemptive. What we lost Christmas Day, he said, all right, Easter's the next big holiday. We're going to let you give birth to new life. Because the waiting room was never about me getting a baby. But it was about being able to wait and serve and impregnate others with a miracle that God had for them. Don't get so focused in the waiting room that you think it's just about when God says, when you put this towel on your arm and you commit to waiting on others and serving others in your waiting room, I can multiply what you thought was one miracle. I can make it 20 or 50 different miracles because you said, I'm going to wait on someone else. You know what happened? Our miscarriage in that year of grief, it was, it was ugly. There are so many little stories and things I went through. I, I might have gone through depression. I don't know. I never said it or confessed it, but I isolated myself from my church. I canceled my speaking itinerary. It was very much a Garden of Gethsemane bloody season for me. I remember telling my husband for the first few weeks after the miscarriage, I could not get out of bed. And I would tell my husband, it's like my head is telling me, you need to get up. You need to take a shower. You need to eat. You cannot stay here. But my heart won't let me. And I remember telling my husband, I feel like my heart is bleeding and I'm like this, trying to stop the hemorrhage and the blood, but I can't. I know what I need to do. I know God's truth, but I just don't have the physical capacity right now to do it. I am broken. And this is what God did in those three years of waiting on others. He said, you know what, Melissa, what the enemy thought would end in blood for you what you thought would destroy you and break you down has now turned into oil for other people. And this is for somebody here today that has been travailing in a waiting room. You don't know what the next assignment is. You, you just feel like, God, am I stuck? Am I on hold? What's next? What do I do? And God is saying, as you use the gifts and the purposes, the education, the experience that you have, even in this waiting room, settings do not kill or cancel your gift. People and circumstances do not hinder your gift but as you use what you have in the place and setting that you are I will take what the enemy wanted for blood to destroy you and your family and I will turn it into oil like that olive press and oil what does it do it nourishes the body and it's medicine for the broken and the sick for somebody today that blood's turning into oil simply because you're willing to say God I'm in the waiting room and I realize I'm not alone and I'm going to let your truth be louder than any lie of the enemy. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to come and strengthen me. I'm going to allow the church to come around me. I'm going to open my heart and be vulnerable to the people that you've placed around me to help me through this process of healing. God, I'm going to use my gift, my talent, my experience, whatever you have in the setting I'm in. I'm going to stop complaining about the setting I'm in and say, God, use me right here, right now where I'm at. And God says, oil will flow out. I invite you to stand with me. I don't know if disappointment has been louder in your ear than the promise 
I don't know if you're sitting there like the little kid that said, Mom, I'm sitting down, but in my heart I'm standing up. Maybe you have even approached God and his timing in that way. I felt like God wanted me to tell someone today, the waiting room is not your end. This is not where you will end or it will be finished. This is a transition seat. This is a place that connects you to another purpose and another assignment. Be willing to say, God, I'm all in. Not my will, but your will be done in this season. I'm going to ask you to bow your head there where you're at. I believe the Holy Spirit is here. I believe he's speaking. It's not by coincidence he brought me from Houston, Texas this morning at this moment in this service to speak to you and share his life-giving word. Just ask Holy Spirit where you're at right now. With your eyes closed, your head bowed. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I would be remiss if I thought that every person in here was saved or knew the Lord. Maybe your life has been a holding tank and a waiting room. And if there's anybody here today that says, you know what? I've not been all in. I don't know the Lord is my savior. And now it makes sense. It makes sense everything I've been walking through, but I am ready to make him the Lord of my life. Just right there where you are, I'm gonna ask you to slip up your hand. We're gonna pray a prayer over you. Anybody here today, or maybe you need to reaffirm your commitment to Jesus. Made a few missteps. You're ready to be sold out completely. See that hand. God bless you. 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 Hallelujah. Let's all join in and pray this prayer together with the new family of Christ that's joining the family of Christ. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. Today I admit I have messed up. I have sinned. But I believe that you died for me. And you rose again on the third day. So today I say forgive me. Cleanse me. Transform me. I give you my heart. From this day forward, I want to follow you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now we have a few moments. And I'm going to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But if you're here today, because I do feel there are some that you feel like you've been in a waiting room season in your life, maybe in your marriage, in your job, your finances, your health, a ministry assignment, whatever it is, I want to invite you to take one step. The place of healing, the place of brokenness. What did Jesus do when he was about to be crushed? He prayed. I want to invite you to do that at these altars. The prayer team, you're welcome to join me up here at front. We're going to pray over you. But I believe that there is power in unity and power in prayer. Amen. Let me pray over you as you allow God to minister to you in this moment. Father, I pray over Celebration Church. I thank you for the legacy and the faithfulness of this church and this community. I thank you for the promise and the blessing that is over this church, God. Lord, I pray today that as we've heard your word, you help us to interpret what the rhema word is for each and every one of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help us open our heart this morning, that before we say, God, change our circumstances and change our spouse and change our kids and our boss and and, and our environment, that we would say, God, change us, inspect me, change me, correct me, protect me, redirect me in this waiting room. God, guard our hearts from being offended by the processes that you have us walk through, Lord. Change how we pray in the waiting room. Make us willing to say, God, heal me, refine me, develop me. I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the strengthener that comes alongside your people today. Whatever waiting room they're walking through, that it would be your presence and make us aware of your presence. Forgive us when we have tried to be self-sufficient and do it on our own. Holy Spirit, we invite you to walk with us and sit with us and cry with us, intercede for us and to guide us into all truth. And I declare over your church, God, that in this season, there would be a spirit of surrender, 
of obedience, a willingness to say, God, I'm going to let you stretch me and grow me. And I'm also going to say, yes, use me. I'm ready to go and wait on others as I wait on you. Say this out loud with me one last time. Say, not my will, not my will, not my will, but your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to ask our pastors, prayer partners to make their way back forward. But before uh, we begin to minister individually, I just, I couldn't shake, uh, Melissa, as you were speaking this service different than in the first. Um, I felt like the Lord wanted to touch some families here this morning um, who've been going through a long journey as well. Just felt a quickening in my spirit as you were sharing. So I'm going to ask as pastors or prayer partners get ready, I'd ask everybody to bow their head, close their eyes one more time because I... Uh, my wife and I have known from conversation with some of you, friends like Melissa, how, how difficult the struggle can be. And I just want this to be a private moment. Uh, you could come forward for prayer in a moment, but I'm going to ask uh, Melissa in a moment to pray just for you specifically. Um, because I wasn't able to be up here looking at you, I'm, I'm not even sure which families are here today, the ones that we know have been going through this. But if you're here, and you, you identified with that story. You find yourself in a waiting room, waiting on the promise of God, specifically for family. Now in the first service, Melissa had shared they had tried everything. They tried adopting, fostering, applications that she sent in were not received. Like, so, so you find yourself in that moment. If you're here with no one looking around in this private moment, I just want you to real boldly lift up your hand and I'm gonna have her come back and pray for you in this moment. If that's you, your family, your situation, I don't know what it's been waiting, what's been going on, sure, sure. So before we move to pray for these individual needs, I'm asking Melissa to come back and pray for those that lifted their hand in faith. You've been waiting. I, again, I don't know if you've been believing for biological child, adopting, fostering, whatever's been going on, but door after door has been closed. You find yourself in the waiting room. Maybe you felt partial success. In the, we're going to pray and believe. I just felt it from the Holy Spirit as she was sharing. This is a moment in your life. So those that raise their hand, actually, I just want to pause one more time for those that are watching online. Just didn't even mean to look over you in this moment, but you find yourself at the kitchen table on the couch in this moment wanting and not receiving we're going to pray i'm going to have melissa come back and we're going to believe that god is going to do what only you can do so for those families that are waiting in that season in a moment we're going to pray for many other things but before we leave this moment i believe god wants to touch you and i'm gonna have melissa pray in this moment for you today there was a verse the Lord gave me. I didn't share with it in the first service. After that, I believe this is where I'm supposed to share it. But there's a psalm that says, when you go through the valley of a core, A-C-H-O-R, the valley of tears and weeping, the psalmist says, I will open a door of hope. I believe today God is opening a door of hope. Does that mean it's all going to happen tomorrow or in the next week or month? For some of us, it's not just something physical that's happened to us, but our faith and spirit need a little resuscitation and hope. And I feel like the Lord wants to do that this morning. If that's you, just lift your hand. Father, I pray right now. You see that hand? If you're praying and you've been through the waiting room of infertility, put your hand on your womb. If your spouse is next to you, grab their hand, pray together. I'm uniting my faith with you. God, I pray that, Lord, where there has been a season and a trail of tears, the valley of tears. God, sometimes we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the way the psalmist said, but it's just a shadow, God. It's just the appearance of death. It is not death, God. You have all power and all, all ability to heal, to resurrect, to restore hope in us, joy in us, peace in us, and life inside of us. I speak new life and healing and hope over these individuals right now, God. I also pray for individuals here who are in a raiding room, and it's not health, it's not physical, but it is, it is purpose and assignment. Father, I thank you that you redirect us. 
I thank you that even when we have the blueprints of our life right before you, you are sovereign and you know what you've created us for and what is before us. So God, we surrender to your plan. Some of us will even have to take our plans and crumble them up and say, God, I'm waiting on you. I'm not moving till I hear from you and I'm trusting the redirection. I know you're going to give me clarity. You're going to give me wisdom and you're going to give me the capacity for this new season. Father, do it now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we praise you and we worship you. We thank you, Father. Amen. You know, even as as she was praying, I felt another uh, prompting from the Holy Spirit. I feel like there are many who've been in the waiting room, um, not for the birth of a child or adoption or, or fostering, but for a child to return back to the Lord, that they've been going their own way. You've been waiting uh, years and decades. And I just want to pray corporately for that as well. And then we're going to pray individually, but I just felt that as we were praying. So if that's you, would you lift your hand? You're believing for a child and we're going to pray you in that waiting room. Father, right now, you know, each and every situation, you know, the reasons may have been hurt, may have been I don't know why they've been running and why these parents, these grandparents have been waiting. But Father, we ask even now in this moment, as we sense the leading of your Holy Spirit, we, we can tell you're working, you're doing what only you can do. We ask for the greatest miracle of all, the salvation of those family members. Even as we sense a moving of enlarging a family and wombs being opened, I'm praying for hearts to be opened in this moment. Those that have gone their own way, we pray according to your word, let them come back to their sense even now. Let them know how much you love them, even more than any earthly father or mother or grandparent, how much more their heavenly father is loving them. So God, right now, we're calling back those who've been wandering, they've been running, they've been doing everything they can to run away from your love and your acceptance and your forgiveness. So we call them back today. We pray for the enlargement of the spiritual family of God today. Do what only you can do. May many come back to faith in Jesus Christ and we pray it in Jesus name in Jesus name come on you believe that let's give him thanks amen now before we rush out they're going to continue to lead us in song I'm going to ask if there's another need in your life I believe the Lord is moving in, in power today would you step out these men and women filled with faith are going to pray uh, for your need individually it may have been one that was mentioned it may have been unmentioned but whatever it is we're believing that God's going to do what only he can do so let's take a few more minutes as they lead us in this song let's make this a house of prayer an atmosphere of faith that we're believing that God is meeting us at our point of need if there's a need in your life step out. Let's pray together before we leave here today. Allow God to do what only he can do. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.